So just a quick announcement from me, if you're a nutritionist, counsellor or other mental health professional working with people with disordered eating, eating disorders or body image difficulties, I have a body image training day coming up on Zoom on Saturday the 22nd of October. This is a chance to learn and understand about what we mean by body image and how it develops. You will learn specific skills and techniques which we use to engage clients in improving body image and also apply these skills and strategies to yourself. You also get a detailed and comprehensive training manual as an ongoing reference tool. So if you're interested, do email me at harriet.fru at gmail.com. For more information, go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. Hope to see some of you there. Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I was due to have a guest on the show. I was due to be talking to the nutritionist Shannon Weston. Unfortunately, Shannon hasn't been able to make it. So she will be on another episode towards the end of the month or early November. So you have me today sharing three insights into the psychology of eating disorders. So I want to give you a bit more insight into the psychology of eating disorders, peeling back further layers of the onion to understand these mental health conditions in more depth. Now I do have previous episodes delving into different areas about eating disorder psychology. So if it's something that interests you, do check out some of those previous episodes and I would try and remember to put those links in the show notes. When I talk today, I'm going to be referring to themes which I have seen on many occasions in working with my clients. Having said this though, I always believe that we're all individuals and that your experience will be unique. So if your experience is different or you don't relate to what I'm talking about, honour your own thoughts and feelings. Take what is helpful and reject what is not. So I think so much about eating disorder recovery is about listening to your own voice, beginning to listen to your own voice again, often more key and leaning into that self-trust because often we have really lost touch with ourselves. So it's so important to be honouring kind of your own thoughts and feelings. Hopefully though, you will find some bits and pieces helpful from this episode. And hopefully as well, you can integrate this into your understanding of your personal experience of your own relationship with your eating disorder. Or if you're close to someone who's suffering, understanding more about what's going on for them. Now, when I talk about the different themes, I am going to be talking about generalizations around people whose eating disorder is more restrictive and those who have an eating disorder which is restrictive but also interrupted by binge eating or out of control eating episodes. And I'm using kind of like looking at the eating disorders in those separate ways rather than using diagnostic criteria because I think diagnostic criteria sometimes can be quite limiting as you can be put into a box. And actually, we're all individuals and things are more complex. But when I'm saying this as well, I do appreciate that having a restrictive eating disorder or having a restrictive and then binging intermittently eating disorder, these things are not mutually exclusive and you can move between one pattern and the other. So again, what I'm saying is I'm kind of making some generalizations. So please don't take this all completely kind of literally in black and white. You know, you'll just see really there's lots of gray areas. 
So let's do a deep dive in and begin to explore three psychological themes from the therapy room. So number one, the egosyntonic nature of eating disorders. Now eating disorders are often viewed as being slightly different from other mental health conditions in the fact that if you have an eating disorder, you may be in two minds about change. Now, not saying that this isn't true for other mental health conditions also, However, it's definitely much more pronounced in eating disorders. Now, there's this real ambivalence around change as the eating disorder is often valued in some way. The behaviours, thoughts, feelings, outcomes are benefiting you and you may like aspects of the behaviour. You might find, for example, that the ED helps you feel more in control or gives you a focus. You might find that it seems to help you control your weight you might find safety and reassurance in it. Now, I'm saying all of this, when I'm saying benefits, I'm saying that in kind of in inverted commas, because of course, anyone with an eating disorder is suffering and there are many, many, many costs. However, there are some aspects of the eating disorder which can be kind of bringing things to you which are helping you cope in some way. So you therefore will be quite ambivalent about change. Now, Someone with anorexia or orthorexia, people that tend to be more restrictive with their eating disorders, perhaps people that are not binging, the egosyntonic nature of the illness is stronger. So there'll be a higher ambivalence around change. Now, perhaps no surprise in a culture that praises weight loss and also moralizes food choices and slimness, it's very seductive to pursue this path And although, as I've said, the eating disorder will clearly be bringing about a huge range of costs to physical and mental well-being, it can also bring fleeting moments of feeling better and coping better. And in diet culture, it can feel like this is something I'm doing well. This is something that I'm getting right. Now, in contrast, someone that binges, perhaps in addition to restriction or has episodes of -of out-of-control eating, may thankfully, in some respects, have a higher motivation for change as having binges could render the ED less egosyntonic, less benefits, again, I'm saying that in inverted commas, gained. If you binge, you probably really struggle with this aspect of the eating disorder. It can bring much shame, guilt, self-loathing and self-sabotage. But again, you might also like aspects of binging too. That's really, really normal. It's a coping strategy. It can bring relief, distraction, oblivion, escape from life. So you too will have ambivalence around change. I know a lot of people that I've worked with binge eating disorder have said, almost like, don't take this away from me. This is the one thing that is mine and mine alone. So ambivalence is normal. It is to be expected. And by recognizing and acknowledging the ambivalence, you place yourself in a good position to consider change It's the first step on the recovery ladder towards doing things differently. So if you feel in two minds about change, if you feel this ambivalence, embrace it and acknowledge it. It opens the door to achieving those benefits, in inverted commas, of an eating disorder in other much more healthy and constructive ways. Because, yes, an eating disorder is a coping strategy. It might work sometimes, however, It's maladaptive and it's not great for your mental or physical well-being. And if you use an ED, I guess, for the long term to cope, you're going to miss out on so much of life. You know, sometimes it's hard to connect with that in the day by day. But when we sort of think about 
five years time, 10 years time, if you're still living with it, you don't really want to be coping with it, you know, coping with life in the way that you are using the ED today. Anyway, so embrace the ambivalence, embrace the pros and the cons of the eating disorder. It may feel counterintuitive. Actually, by putting your cards on the table, by recognizing the ED as a coping strategy, you're placing yourself in a powerful position for change. You're considering that there may be other much more helpful and constructive ways of coping. So number two, looking at more about the psychology of eating disorders, exploring how someone deals with their emotions. So if you have an eating disorder, your emotions are likely buried under coping behaviors. Now this is an unconscious thing, often we're not even aware of this. So your emotions may emerge from time to time. They're probably emerging quite a bit actually. It's hard to be completely frozen from your emotions as a human being. You might actually have some periods of more healthy emotional functioning. However, we know that eating disorder behaviors and the physical and mental consequences of them often numb or distract from emotions. And of course, as I've said, this is an unconscious coping strategy usually. It can often feel preferable to deal with emotions around an eating disorder rather than deal with messy or complicated emotions that may be underneath. And I guess life can be stressful sometimes, can't it? There may be stresses going on for you in your life at the moment. There may be relationship difficulties, maybe losses or other traumas. And the eating disorder could be a welcome distraction. Now, someone who is more restrictive where they're eating, it often feels to me as though their emotions are frozen or that they're so detached from them. Because restrictive eating requires obsessive and rigid preoccupation with food to follow the plan and stick to the rules. Restrictive eating also makes you tired and physically compromised. Restrictive eating also brings a lack of concentration, poor memory, low mood and decreased resilience to deal with life. So when you're in the depths of all of that, there's little space or room for your emotional world as you're surviving and getting through the day. So when when restrictive eating is going well, in inverted commas, you might feel that you've nailed life and it can bring a sense of control and you might welcome the lack of detachment from your emotional world. Now, of course, over time, this is massively destructive and robs you of vital days, months and weeks of being a human and living a fulfilling life. Some of my clients will often talk about looking back on restrictive periods of their life, restrictive eating periods of their life, not really remembering what happened, certainly not being sort of engaged in the moment of life. And coming out of this, people can often describe a real grief for what is lost, because it's almost like they've been frozen in time. Now, when someone is restrictive, but also having episodes of binge eating or out of control eating, Emotions, again, this is just from my perspective, can almost flip from being frozen to abruptly surfacing like a volcano and they can often feel volatile and chaotic. Again, I am generalizing, but if you're struggling with binge eating, you might feel like you're on an emotional roller coaster. You might feel at sea with your emotions. You might not know how you feel. You might feel your feelings, but have no idea how to regulate them without using food. And this can feel messy and scary and a roller coaster that you absolutely wish to get off. And you might long for the restrictive eating periods, which can somehow feel a bit calmer and more detached. But ultimately, unconsciously cutting off or freezing our emotions or blocking them and intermittently having them surfacing like an untamed beast, neither approach is ultimately healthy. 
So it's not your fault you're using food or a focus on your body to try and deal with your emotional world. But once that you recognize that the eating disorder is likely a coping strategy to deal with underlying emotions, again, it opens a door for you to safely begin to explore this when you feel ready. Now, if you've experienced trauma, you really might want to do this in the safety of therapy or with a very trusted person in your life. And you might want to do this as well, bit by bit and at your own pace. And you might want to do this when you have the time, space and reflective sort of opportunity to peel back some of the onion layers. Now, if your emotions have been locked away in a box for a very long time, they can feel like in a volcano erupting when you first take the lid off. And this can feel a bit overwhelming. And I think that's why people will often say that, you know, when you go to therapy, sometimes it can feel worse before it feels better because of when you start to get in touch with feelings that you've been blocking off from, when you start to feel feelings, when you start to kind of get these feelings back into your body, kind of feeling kind of the whole human experience rather than protected and numb from certain feelings, it can feel a bit overwhelming at first. But the really great thing is when you start to experience some of those negative feelings maybe that you've been blocked off from, and when I say negative feelings, I don't really want to like label feelings as positive and negative I think all our emotions have a role in our lives. But when you cut off from things like grief, despair, sadness, anger, anxiety, you also lose your ability to experience joy, happiness, excitement, contentment. So by embracing your emotions again, you start to experience that kind of whole spectrum of emotion of being human. And actually, that is just so much more wonderful. And actually, potentially, your life can be so much more fulfilling. But in the short term, it can feel really difficult and I just really want to acknowledge that. So it's important, I think, to feel ready to embrace some of this work. And actually, when you do this, this is absolutely the path to real healing. And it also avoids the place of that kind of quasi-recovery. Because I think if you don't deal with the emotional side, but perhaps you just deal with the food side alone, I mean, that needs to be dealt with, but you deal with the food side alone and you address much more the symptoms rather than the deeper issues. You can get stuck then in this kind of half recovered place where you're sort of feeling not great, but you're looking more weight restored and everyone assumes that everything's better, but actually you feel worse. So as and when you feel ready, that emotional work is a really important part of the process. Now, the third area I want to talk about in the psychology of eating disorders is the feeling not good enough. In all eating disorders, not feeling good enough is often somewhere at the root of the problem. People often talk about not feeling good enough or feeling different from others, feeling that they don't fit in. Maybe it started at secondary school, maybe it started at primary school, maybe it started in your family. But for whatever reason, perhaps not feeling accepted, perhaps not feeling good enough in the culture, there can be numerous ways people don't feel good enough. And it can be due to gender, race, class, appearance, weight, academic ability disability and more. And not feeling good enough tends to mean that you will try and gain acceptance and you will strive to meet certain conditions to feel good enough. So you're kind of looking for this external validation, this external kind of acceptance that you fit in. And this can manifest itself in multiple ways. So it might be trying to change your body shape to gain acceptance from those around you. You might do this, you might diet, Sadly, you might unintentionally get an eating disorder, 
but receive a lot of external validation for what you've done, which then perpetuates the problem and keeps you stuck. And it's really tricky in diet culture, isn't it? Because I think so many of my clients have been praised for weight loss when they've been at the most unwell. So it's very, very, very confusing. You know, people sometimes just don't really acknowledge how much they're struggling because they're getting these mixed messages from the culture. So you might have become adept at pleasing those around you, becoming the happy and harmonious person that doesn't cause a fuss, keeps their emotions under wraps, so not to rock the boat. That might be another way of coping. So this often works to give us sort of temporary conditional acceptance from those around us. However, if you're constantly pleasing others at the detriment to yourself where your own thoughts and feelings never get heard, it can be devastating to the human psyche. As your own voice is not lost, it's not heard, and your own thoughts and feelings become buried. And I think this is something we commonly see in the therapy room where people come into therapy kind of knowing what they should be looking like, saying, doing, as imposed by the cultural standards, as imposed by teachers, significant adults, you know, peers. There's so much pressure sometimes, isn't there, from outside. So it's very common that people have completely lost their own voice. They don't really know who they are. They don't really know their own likes and preferences. They're no wonder in a way that they need some way of coping. And that often kind of comes out with an eating disorder. So over time, if you don't listen to your own voice, if you're so externally sort of validated, looking externally for permission almost to feel good, you lose touch with who you really are and you become what you think others want you to be. And others as well often won't realise how much you're struggling and will take your surface presentation at face value. So the thing is, you may not even realise you're out of touch with your own voice. Other people around you may have become very accustomed to you being very accommodating and harmonious and keeping your thoughts and feelings down. So in a way, you get a lot of acceptance for being like that. But this triggers then a really tricky, perpetuating cycle, which is hard to exit from, because you know what you should be in the world in relation to your appearance, work, friends, etc. But you have lost yourself in the process. And this leads to an overwhelming feeling of loneliness and disconnect. And I think this is often very, very confusing for people because they'll almost think, what's wrong with me? I'm kind of doing everything that society tells me should make me happy, but I don't feel happy. It's really tricky because if you don't understand what's going on when you're in this kind of situation, you might just look at others and feel that you're broken or wrong. You might think, well, everyone else is kind of happy and getting on with it. Why don't I feel okay? But in fact, you're not broken or wrong. You are absolutely good enough and you've just lost yourself along life's path. And it's not your fault. It's like a survival strategy. You know, as human beings, we are so wired to want to fit in and be accepted. And it's very natural in a way that we will twist ourselves in a way to do whatever we need to do to fit in. But sometimes, obviously, when that goes to an extreme, it can be massively detrimental. So from my experience, This impact may be more pronounced in people who are purely more restrictive as their emotional disconnect is greater. Now, again, I am massively generalizing here. And if anyone's listening to this and thinks, actually, I completely disagree, do just let me know because of, I think everyone's experience is so nuanced. But I think what I'm trying to say here is that if you are in a state of starvation, and you are massively then disconnected from your body because you're almost emotionally frozen. 
it's really, really hard to feel connected to yourself, to know what you like, what you dislike. You're so kind of in fight, flight, surviving, just trying to kind of, you know, you're focusing on food really and body image. You're not really able to focus on what is underneath. So not feeling good enough, losing the self, relying on too much external validation and feedback are all central to eating disorders. So I want to say on an encouraging note, speaking as someone myself who once upon a time, I had no idea who I was, what I liked, even what I wanted to have for dinner that evening. I would ask whoever I was with around me, I would very much kind of accommodate and fit in. I would be very worried about upsetting others. I would want to make sure that everything was smooth over and harmonious. And I just wouldn't have a voice at all. And, you know, that was not my own fault. I was just surviving (laughs) and, you know, people pleasing because I thought that was going to be the way that I was going to kind of, you know, get through life. But obviously it was massively detrimental. But I have found myself that you can start very small and take incremental steps back towards listening to your inner voice and honoring your needs. So it might be just starting with absolutely the most basic things, like thinking about what's my favorite color? What's my favorite type of animal? If you even like animals, you know, starting really, really small. You don't have to be thinking about the life decisions straight away. So I hope you found this episode helpful. So just to summarize, I've looked at three psychological themes from the therapy room. One, looking at the egocentric nature of eating disorders, how we feel in two minds about change. Number two, looking at our emotional world, when emotions become shut off or numbed, and also the chaos of the emotional roller coaster. And number three, finally exploring the universal feeling of not being good enough, looking at the roots of this and thinking about baby steps back towards finding your voice. So ultimately, an eating disorder is a maladaptive coping strategy. You didn't choose it. You've likely used it to survive due to life stresses. It has then become a habit and life raft, which is then hard to let go of. However, you can change. You can learn new and healthy ways of coping. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. So don't be afraid to reach out for help and to get support. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.